Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. We've been going through this sermon series entitled The Rise and Fall of King David, and we're actually coming up to the end of that. It'll just be this week and next week, and then we'll say goodbye to David's story in First and Second Samuel, though David's shadow still hovers over the rest of Scripture. So this is important stories that set the stage for what happens throughout Scripture. And last week, we really focused on David's worst moment. And we're actually going to stay in that this week because I think David's worst moment, it ends up yielding one of his better moments as well. So I'll be reading from 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. And I invite you to hear God's word. And the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, Two men there were in a single town, One was rich and the other poor. The rich man had sheep and cattle in great abundance, and the poor man had nothing save one little ewe that he had bought. And he nurtured her and raised her with him together with his sons. From his crust she would eat, and from his cup she would drink, and in his lap she would lie, and she was to him like a daughter. And a wayfarer came to the rich man, and it seemed a pity to him to take from his own sheep and cattle to prepare for the traveler who had come to him. And he took the poor man's ewe and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And David's anger flared hot against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, doomed is the man who has done this. And the poor man's ewe he shall pay back fourfold, inasmuch as he has done this thing, and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. It is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who saved you from the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives in your lap, and I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that be too little, I would give you even as much again. Why did you despise the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his eyes? Uriah the Hittite you struck down with the sword, and his wife you took for yourself as wife. And him you have killed by the sword of the Ammonites. And so now the sword shall not swerve from your house evermore, seeing as you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, I'm about to raise up evil against you from your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your fellow man, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it in secret, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And David said to Nathan, I have offended against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has also remitted your offense. You shall not die. But since you surely spurned the Lord in this thing, the son born to you is doomed to die. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for the words of encouragement, the words of hope, the words of faith, and we thank you for the words of challenge also. We thank you for the cautionary tales there are, for the examples of people who have gone astray and how they've handled it. So Lord, help us learn to repent. Help us learn to confess. Help us learn to turn to you. Speak to us through the scripture now, Lord. 
and use David's example to teach us. We thank you. It's the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. So as I said, last week and this week, we're really looking at David's worst moment, where he commits adultery with the wife of one of his closest soldiers, somebody who's fiercely loyal to him. Then he tries to cover it up. He won't acknowledge what he's done. And the cover-up leads to the death of Uriah, a soldier loyal to David, and the deaths of other soldiers as well. It's really an inexcusable, indefensible action from David, and one that God is clear that this was evil to David. But I have to say, while that is David's worst moment, and it does set the stage, it does yield to this, which I think is one of David's better moments. In this passage, David takes the first step towards repentance. He confesses. And in that, I think he should be commended. David is the king. He could try to continue the cover-up, but at this moment, he doesn't. He acknowledges what he's done. But I have to say... He doesn't do it too easily. Some time has passed here. And Nathan, the prophet, has to show up. And through a fairly clever way, turns David against himself. Now, Nathan is one of those figures in the Bible that he shows up at some key moments, but we don't know a lot about him. He's there when David wants to build a temple for God. And God says, no, no, hold on, David. You're not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to build a house for you. God speaks through Nathan to David. And then he's here in the story with Bathsheba. And he's the one who holds David accountable. That really is the role of the prophets. The prophets in the Old Testament, they primarily rise up because the kings have lost their way. And the prophets are there to hold the kings accountable, to be a thorn in the side of the kings when they stray from the word of the Lord. God never wanted kings. It was always a compromise. So the prophets were meant to be a check and a balance on the monarchy. And in that way, Nathan is definitely serving his role here. He is taking David to task. And he does so through this story that he tells. It's a story that, I think big picture, you can see how it applies, but when you look at the details, it's... I don't know how it actually lines up. In the story, there's a rich man and a poor man. The poor man has a bunch of cattle and sheep. A rich man has one ewe, and he loves this ewe. He cares for it as a daughter, we're told. And then a traveler comes to the rich man, and the rich man decides to take this one ewe, the only animal this poor man has, and serve that to the traveler instead of taking from his own flocks. Again, big picture, I think it's clear, Nathan is highlighting David's selfishness here, his callousness, his lack of concern for somebody else, but in the details, I'm not entirely sure how it actually lines up. I think the ewe is supposed to be Bathsheba, but in the story, the ewe is the one that dies, the poor man doesn't die, the rich man doesn't take the poor man's life, which is what actually David did. So in the details, I'm not sure. But with the overall picture here, Nathan is making clear just how selfish and how wrong what David did 
was. He's holding David accountable here. And to his credit, David responds well. There are other kings, when prophets hold them accountable, when prophets tell them the truth of what they've done, other kings, David's descendants, they will turn on the prophet. They will try to destroy the prophet. They'll try to get rid of the prophet. But in this story here, David, instead of doing that, he confesses. In this translation, it says, I have offended against the Lord. Other translations say, I have sinned. David's response here is a positive one. It's confession. In this moment, David is willing to admit that he's wrong. I don't think that's an easy thing for us to do. I think for all of us human beings, it's hard to admit when we are wrong. It's hard to acknowledge those moments when we're wrong. It's as though we think that if we admit we are wrong, that then we'll be viewed as, as weak or people won't listen to us anymore. And I think too often we lift up people in culture who never admit that they're wrong. We end up praising them, thinking that doubling down on those moments when you are wrong or you have wronged somebody, that that's somehow strength. But in this story with David, he's willing to admit that he was wrong. He's willing to admit that he has sinned. And confession is the first step towards repentance. And I'm not entirely sure why it's so hard for us to admit that we're wrong or that we have wronged somebody because the truth is, Every single one of us is wrong. Every single human being at some point is wrong, does wrong, does harm. We hurt the people we love. We're callous to people we don't even know. We turn our ears away from the cries of those who are suffering. We all are wrong. The way the Apostle Paul states it is, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But it can be so hard to admit that. It can be so hard to just admit when you've done something wrong and then to take the next step, which is repentance, to turn away from it. The biblical idea of repentance is it's a, a metaphor of you're, you're walking on a road and that road is leading you to destruction. Destruction of yourself, destruction of somebody else but then you turn away from the direction you're heading in and you start walking in a different direction. Repentance is more than just confession. And in this passage in Samuel, what we see is just confession here. But when you go to Psalm 51, the Psalm that Lee read during our prayer of confession today, I think you have a picture of repentance there. And that Psalm is attributed to David at this moment when Nathan has come to him and challenges him and tells him what he did and, and makes it known. I think we see a deeper picture of repentance from David in Psalm 51. And repentance is, it's turning away from whatever it is that's leading you or somebody else to destruction and taking actual steps away from it. It's more than just confession. That's repentance. John Calvin, the reformer, he described repentance as departing from ourselves, we turn to God. 
It's where you stop looking to yourself. You stop focusing on yourself. You stop pursuing selfish ambitions and you turn to God and your perspective changes and you start walking in a different path. It's the biblical idea of repentance and it's so necessary for following Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to admit that you are wrong. And in those moments where you're made aware of the ways in which you're wrong, you take steps to not continue making the same mistakes. You take steps to doing something different, not for the sake of your salvation. We know salvation isn't based on our own actions, but for the sake of the people around you, for the sake of the witness to the God that we worship. Repentance is necessary for following Jesus, but it's so challenging. It's one of the hardest things I think we Christians do. And I think it requires an unusual amount of honesty. I mean, isn't that what Nathan brings to this moment with David? Honesty. David has done everything he can to be dishonest, to cover this up. And every step along the way, as David tries to cover up what he did with Bathsheba, he raises the stakes. He tries to lie to Uriah. Then he has Uriah killed. Other soldiers are killed as well. Then he tells Joab, his commander, don't even worry about it. It's not a big deal. It's not that evil. As David tries to hide from the truth, the more dishonest he becomes, the more people are hurt around him. Honesty is not easy, but it's necessary. You notice here, too, that Nathan, in order to be honest with David, has to go about it in a fairly clever way. He tells him this story because David is not at a point where he can be honest about what he's done initially. Nathan has to get him mad at somebody else, has to turn his anger and frustration to somebody that doesn't even exist and then and only then is David able to see that he's who he's actually angry with. I think it's hard for us to be honest with ourselves. I think it's difficult for us as human beings to look in the mirror and to acknowledge the ways in which we've hurt other people. Maybe the guilt is too great. Maybe we feel a sense of shame. I think being honest with ourselves is one of the most challenging things human beings can do, which is why we have so many people running from honesty. That's why we have so many people living in dishonesty. And this is where we all, I think, need somebody like Nathan in our lives. Everybody needs somebody who's going to hold them accountable. Somebody who's going to be honest with them. And that's where as Christians, church is so important for us. The hope is that when you come to church, you can be honest with who you are, but you can do that in a way that you know you'll still be loved. You can have people in your life who will point out things to you that you need to turn from, you need to repent of, but they'll do so in a way that makes you know you're still accepted, regardless of those things you need to repent of. Having people in your life who can be honest with you is critical for us to see ourselves as God sees us for us to recognize the ways in which we're evil, but then to also recognize the ways in which God loves us deeply. God cares for us. That's where I think church is important, not just coming to church every single week, but being in a growth group, connecting with other people, actually opening up your life and living in relationship with other Christians. 
who have the same commitments as you do to Jesus, to repentance, to confession, to honesty. I think it's critical. And being honest with ourselves is one of the hardest things for any human being. And in this moment, I have to say, David has clarity. He has honesty. He acknowledges his sin. He repents. He begins to walk away from it. And for that, he should be commended. I'm going a little over the top here because I know I've been really rough on David in this sermon series. So in this one, this is good. This is good, David. This is David lifted up. But at its core, I believe the only way we can actually be honest is not by even focusing on ourselves at first. The only way we can actually be honest and put ourselves on paths towards repentance and confession and eventually forgiveness is by resting in God's mercy, by trusting in God's mercy, by realizing that the only reason we can confess, the only reason we can be honest is because we've already been accepted, because God already holds us close, because God's love isn't contingent on what we do. It's not conditional based on our behavior. Once we accept that, we rest in God's mercy, we trust in God's forgiveness, then I think it becomes easier for us to be honest, to know that whatever we have done, God does not cast us away, that God does not walk away from us. God's mercy is first and foremost what should define each and every one of us. Now, repentance is important. Repentance is critical in, in life and following Jesus. Repentance is central to following Jesus, but I want to be clear, repentance doesn't fix everything. One of the most troubling parts of this story to me is the consequences David is going to have to experience. There are things that we do that sometimes the consequences still have to play themselves out. We have to endure those. We have to accept those. And trying to evade those consequences, that just puts us down the path towards more dishonesty, towards more lies in our lives. And it takes us farther and farther away from Jesus and puts us on a path towards destruction. So repentance, it doesn't fix everything, but it's still necessary. It's still important. And for us as Christians, for those of us who hold to the hope that Jesus will return, that this world will be restored, we're free to repent because we know that though we may experience consequences, God will make all things right again. That even this moment with David and Bathsheba, God has the ability to somehow redeem that. That's the promise of the gospel. That even the things in our lives that we have done that have tarnished the relationships in our lives, God will redeem those also. God's ability to redeem allows us to repent. God's forgiveness allows us to be honest. And God's mercy allows us to trust. So, may you repent. May you confess. And when you do so, may you recognize that you're celebrating God's character in those moments. Every week at Stonebridge, we come here and we practice confession. We do our prayer of confession together. And in those moments, it's not so that we feel guilty. It's not so that we feel horrible. It's not so that we're reminded of all the terrible things we've done. In those moments, we confess because in that we are reminded of God's forgiveness and we celebrate God's character. 
And it's a witness to the rest of the world that they can be honest with themselves also because God is faithful. God's forgiveness wins. We can trust in that and rest in that. So may you be honest with yourself. May you confess. May you repent. And may you rest in God's mercy. Please pray with me. Lord, in so many ways, we harm others. We harm ourselves. We sin against you. We sin against people in our lives. Help us to be honest with ourselves in those moments. Help us to be surrounded by people who will be honest with us. Help us to confess. Help us not try to lie or cover up or hide or explain away the things that we've done. Help us to confess. Help us to lift up leaders who will be honest, who will confess, who will acknowledge when they've done wrong and not just try to double down. Help us to follow you honestly, not trying to be perfect, not trying to be the strongest people in the world, but recognizing that in our weakness, you are made strong. And in our confession, your grace is made apparent.
you come.